0: The Defense Department is testing artificial intelligence to help write contracts faster. DOD's chief digital and AI office has a prototype of an algorithm that's supposed to generate specific contract language from prompts by a human. It's part of DOD's Tradewind initiative focused on high-impact AI concepts. For details, Federal News Network's Jory Heckman spoke with Tradewind execution lead Bonnie Evangelista.
1: In my position I'm focusing on high value tasks. As an example in contracting like we're asking questions like can an AI or can a bot write a contract? Like is that possible? I'm not interested in automating a workflow that is not helping emerging technology get into the hands of soldiers faster. I'm more interested in can I speed up the entire process so that we can point, click, and buy? Is that even possible? Can vendors write proposals on their phones? Like Those are like big, bold statements, and those are the things that, like from a practitioner's perspective in contracting, those are the things we're considering. It's not just about rudimentary tasks, and even from a government perspective, I think there are some of us who are trying to go big and go bold. But it can be hard from a workforce perspective because I think it's hard to scale because of culture.
0: The whole focus of Trade Tradewinds is like this culture shake-up, you know, around acquisition, around contracting. In, in terms of big things yeah. to tackle, I can't think of anything bigger than culture. How do you get people to not just go for the low-hanging fruit but for swinging for the fences and going for that higher-order stuff?
1: The approach we've taken under Tradewind is like when you go big like you focus on the scoreboard because that's the only way people will believe that it's possible and sometimes at least from a contracting and acquisition perspective people don't know what's possible they're just living in their lanes and understanding what's possible based on their experience and their precedents or what people tell them are possible so if no one's pushing the envelope so that's what we try and do we try and push the envelope until something breaks And then when we think and we believe in a model, whether it's, this is RPA and AI and modernization. So like we're working on a prototype. It's an AI powered contract writing capability. So we have a working prototype, whether it's that, or it's like changing people's mindsets about how you can use acquisition authorities to go faster or to get a better end state for your user, things like that. We're trying it all because we want to go after the high value tasks. We're not going to settle... For the low-value stuff, we want to we want to see if we can break the mold and break the glass ceiling from an acquisition perspective.
0: Bonnie, to circle back to the AI, that's at some point the idea is that it's going to be capable of writing contracts or or take on some of the tasks for the contracting officers of the world. The the DoD terminology is when we talk about all things AI, it's that human in the loop, right? That, you know, there's going to be some handoff to the flesh and blood person, and there's going to be some handoff to the bot or the AI. As you're building this up, how do you think of that human in the loop process? And and at one point, does the human take over? And at what point does the AI?
1: I would offer that when we're thinking about this problem, we're not necessarily trying to dictate the answer we're identifying first and foremost pain points and challenges in the process, and then it's up to the developer to help us use the technology or adopt the technology in a way that allows it to either go faster, better, cheaper, all of the above, because it's right now it's just we want speed to contract, and my functional lane is extremely important, and I think it's going to be a differentiator in whatever cyber wars are going to happen in the next couple of few years. And one of the things that we're focusing on is can the ai help practitioners or problem owners use cases mission because right now i'm kind of in a in a setting where we don't really have traditionally trained acquisition people who are trying to articulate problems to us. So can we help them even articulate what the problem is? And that's where we started. And we have a, a working prototype. It's acbot.com. Anybody can sign up and, and help us like if you want to join the experiment, bring your use cases to us. You know, can we develop a problem statement? Go zero to problem statement in under 60 minutes with the help of this tool. Again, we didn't start with that in mind, but that's kind of where we landed after like we really fully understood what like some of the major pain points in the process was, so even Going back to cultural change, writing a problem statement is not very standard. We're, the government is very used to writing requirements. So this is a mindset shift culturally. Like, So not a lot of people may understand, okay, I need to start with my current state, look at my future state, look at my operational gap. And so we actually used a very small data set and started, we're trying to start training the model to help us build a problem statement from nothing. Like, can somebody put a descriptive title in the tool and help it develop a pretty articulate problem statement? To your point about human in the loop, the technology helps us generate text very much so like ChatGPT. This is very similar to that. However, the tool doesn't get to make the decision. That's where the human comes in. There's a human reviewing and validating the text at every point in the process, but the tool is going to help generate certain text to help inform your problem statement. And then that's just the beginning of the workflow, but we have the workflow going all the way from problem statement to helping to generate the what we call the call to industry. So this is like if you're doing non-FAR based contracting, this is more the lane we chose to focus on because no contract rating system, at least in the Department of Defense, actually supports that. So can industry also respond in that workflow to the call to industry? And then can it generate the contract in the end?
0: It sounds like where you guys are with the AI that as it's just kind of the nature of AI, it's pretty starved for data. Like it just needs just reams and reams of training data to get trained up and, and do what it's supposed to be doing. It's part of the conceit of the CDAO, right? That it's data and the AI all under one roof. Can you maybe unpack a little bit more of the data challenges that you're experiencing or hurdles to overcome, whether it's this use case or, or more broadly?
1: I won't speak to more broadly because I think like Dr. Martel, who is the CDAO, has very much a an opinion and a vision for data at large, like where it needs to be. I'm speaking more from an acquisition contracting lane, it didn't take a lot of data to get a working prototype in there. What you're talking about, too, I don't think it's going to take a massive amount of data to nuance or train the model, but I will say that you don't expect glory overnight. No AI has an out-of-the-box solution. Like, it has to be, this is something where we're hoping if we can, cre- if we can prove the concept, though, I don't think it takes a ton of data just to prove the concept. And if we can continue to prove the concept and then create a demand, a demand signal, for this type of tool that's where we can make it optimize the technology i think and i fully understand though that the tool may not be in a place where it's completely operational within i don't even know how many years it takes but i do there's a very smart person in the room who taught me that AI is like a human lifespan. So when an AI comes out of the box, it's like children, and even children have to learn and grow just as much as AI also has to learn and grow. So I'm hoping that because the technology has enabled us to basically solve like really hard pain points in my functional lane, it can, we've given it a chance to be enduring.
0: Bonnie Evangelista, Tradewind Execution Lead for the Defense Department's Chief Digital and AI Office. Speaking with Federal News Network's Jory Heckman. Check out Jory's story at federalnewsnetwork.com.
2: Leadership today, especially within the federal workforce, is being tested more than ever before. Sean Ferguson, Senior Vice President of Government Relations and Chief of Staff to the Office of the Chairman at the Special Olympics, joins host Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA, to discuss the importance of leadership, inclusion, and community building. To learn more about how you can get involved with the Special Olympics in your community, visit specialolympics.org slash get dash involved. Hello, and welcome to the Lessons in Leadership podcast. What are some of the biggest... Lessons that you've learned working with that community. Oh uh, yeah, almost uh, Shane. It's almost immeasurable the things I've learned since I've been with Special Olympics. I uh, one of the things that drew me to Special Olympics uh, when I made the move over from from the NFL. And so I, I knew that I knew that work a bit. You know, they they basically were in direct care, and and I will say, you know, and on obviously, we'll say about my my family, my mother, and my aunt, my grandmother, they're saints. Uh, but uh, the the men and women that do take care of people with uh, profound disabilities are, are really, um, you know, we we can't do enough to salute them. I, I Tim Triver, my boss, the chairman, uh, says all the time, and I couldn't agree with him more. Uh, we get more than we give uh, working the Special Olympics. It, you know, we, and thank you for your very kind words about the work I do and we do. But but we're the lucky ones. We, those of us that work here are the lucky ones because. we're I said to someone the other day, you know, the things that I've been able to see and experience with athletes, you just don't get to do that anywhere that that, you know it's and it's so unique and it's so uh, joyful and, and I mean we work hard and you know we we're up against, you know, the things that nonprofits are up against and, you know, the, you know, the issues of the day but uh, man you see it it, and, and, and the inclusion in the at Special Olympics no one's excluded uh, and, and the thing that, that uh Tim Triver has done uh, and really pushed in the years that he's been chairman is the unified sports model that that I mentioned earlier, um where people and, and it doesn't have to be uh, it's not just school age, it's it's uh you know, we say nine to ninety-nine or uh year-old uh folks uh that play on teams, uh, bowl together, golf together, play soccer, basketball together. create inclusion opportunities for people with intellectual disabilities. And you see it at these unified sports events where people with and without are playing together. We still have traditional, uh, teams where it's all people with intellectual disabilities competing with other, uh, teams, all intellectual disabilities, but this model of inclusive sports and inclusive leadership programs and whatnot, I think is truly revolutionizing and changing the way people see, uh,